This is Gender Gap, a monthly podcast series where we chat or gab about gender abuse and more from the perspective of mostly PhD researchers. I'm your host, Julia. And I am Tony. And this has been sponsored by the Gender Research and Equalities Network at Glasgow Caledonian University in Scotland. episode is touching on sensitive topics that some listeners may find distressing. Listener's discretion is advised. Hello! Spooky season is upon us and as such I am thrilled to not just be joined by my wonderful friend, colleague and fellow PhD Tony, but also because this is the perfect time to talk about witches and witch trials in Scotland. So a warm and cosy welcome to you. It is warm and cosy. I have gunpowder tea out of the cauldron mug. Uh, doesn't get cosier. It's very on theme. So it's, yeah, excellent to have you here. Yeah, so since this is your first time co-hosting with me, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes. So I'm Tony. I'm doing a PhD on screenwriting as a screenwriter, screenwriting illnesses. So maybe I'll be mm. back to talk about that, you know. But generally speaking, I've been on a sort of a pagan journey since my days in Catholic school. And yeah, just witches and witch hunting and all of the history. That's my jam. Yeah, yeah. And it's like so interesting because we, you introduced us a little bit into this world a couple of months ago when we did this writing retreat with the research group, which was pretty fun and interesting. And then just recently, a couple of weeks ago, you and I, we went to the Dungeons and Dragons one-off event at the Glasgow Women's Library. Shout out to the team there, particularly the Dungeon Matron. It was so fun because we went on this investigation around Glasgow. We found out more about witches in Scotland and we came across this particular woman, Maggie Wall, who was you know, allegedly burned as a witch in Scotland. And I say allegedly because there is, well, there's technically a monument in what's called Dunning, which states Maggie Wall was burned here in 1657 as a witch. And it's actually like the only monument erected in memory of a witch in Scotland. However, and that's where he allegedly comes in, there's no record that Maggie Wall ever existed, but there are loads of theories around it. And my favorite one is definitely where Maggie essentially just represents the collective of witches that had been murdered during the witch trials. And this leads us into getting into this topic for today and me asking you to join me to talk more about the witch trials that happened across Scotland. Yes, so, oh gosh, I don't even know what my first introduction to witches and witch trials might be. Examples I can think of include the Edinburgh Dungeon, where I was introduced to many of the torture implements. What else was there? I was not too long ago in Dundee visiting friends, and they very thoughtfully took me to the spot where there is, it's definitely not a monument, but it's this weird long square shaped stone it's just kind of thrust into the ground and you can see people have left stones mm. and coins and so like feathers. more like a memor- memorial kind of like yeah like mini memorial There's, it doesn't say anything mm. there at the site but it does kind of i don't know being there for me mm. at least gave me that like overwhelming sense of whatever was done to you was not just mm. you know like <laughs> so we have the first I can't remember if this is the first person who was convicted or the first person who was killed in Scotland. 
as a witch, but Bessie Dunlop, mm. that was 1576. And then we've got the last one, which famously is Janet. She was the last woman executed mm. in Scotland in 1727, mm. but that was one of those other introductions. That's quite a famous one, but you can do the ghost walking tours mm. in Scotland, particularly in Glasgow, and you know they like to point at where she was tried. Mm. Whether that's correct or not, I don't know. I couldn't get a hold of them. My cursory glance for researching before now didn't turn up any results, yeah. but... You know, she was burned to death in a tar barrel, mm. like covered in tar and burned alive. Yeah. And that was the farewell to burning witches, apparently. Evidently so. <laughs> it was quite a gruesome time, wasn't it? Especially during the, what, 16th to 18th century in Scotland. What I find really interesting. So anywhere between four and 6,000 people were accused of witchcraft, which were well, not exclusively, but predominantly women. And out of these, more than a thousand people were killed based on this. And you'll think, oh, okay, so the remaining, what, three to five thousand weren't murdered? And yeah, but that's not where it stopped because they were either, well, they were actually, some of them were acquitted, obviously, but most likely they died in prison, they escaped from prison, or they just received a non capital punishment and were essentially banished from the country so they were tortured yeah so quite grim if you think about this and where it becomes interesting is when you think okay that seems like a high number and it's yeah it's definitely a high number because if you compare that to england for example which has a much higher population scotland actually had like what three times as many witch trials as england yeah which 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 is like really fascinating because I didn't know this before I was researching about this for the episode today but it's so fascinating that that's that's what we came across that it's so condensed to Scotland it seems yeah but then I think that it's not surprising that you know 20 years Mm. after this witch craze we had the clearances Mm. Scotland was really in turmoil Mm. in terms of um power relations Mm. especially with England you know whether that be land or esteem power Mm. class structures so the the people who were you know primarily accused of witches we get a lot of stories where people were just doing out of jealousy or they didn't Mm. like someone there's lots of excuses like that that seem to be inbuilt into the stories we tell but generally speaking um any witch craze is mostly born out of a woman being in a position, be that by remaining on land and not moving, Mm. or a position where she is integral to a community. Mm. Yeah, these things tend to sort of begin by using those women as scapegoats to get what is left when they are removed. And back then it was easy to mandate murder. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest, they managed to mandate the murdering of people by mm. accusing them of witchcraft and mm. sorcery mm. and malevolence, mm. which now sounds completely insane, but it still happens. Mm. Literally today, we can come on to that later. Yeah, but it's interesting what you picked up on with this finding the scapegoat, right? Because it's peak behavior that we find also in relation to moral panic. So that's a criminological concept where essentially it says that there are unfounded mass panics which usually stems from, you know, disinformation distributed through media, back then, of course, through church, and trying to create this common enemy. So who is the scapegoat at any given point in time? And back then, it was the witches whom the public essentially could unite against. 
So these panics already existed way before the term existed. We know it were these outbursts of panics, right? Because like, as you said, all, as well, they come in these witch crazes. In, in Scotland, were like, what, four or five of them? Some of them more yeah, well, severe than others? So the the big one being the first one, which was mm. James VI. Yeah. And his... There is a, there is a much longer story, but essentially mm. he was just obsessed with the idea that... Um, uh, the voyage was cursed for mm. him to bring his bride back from Denmark. Mm. And then as well, you've got a story that went all the way to Salem. Mm. So my one of the things that I, I went to was a kind of... was the Witches of Pollock mm. House. And Pollock House is in Paisley. I think they do this every year where they get someone in to do some sort of historical entertainment. But this was where I was told this story that really, really stuck with me. Mm. And I absolutely am going to write a script about this. <laughs> and the BBC will pick it up and they will put loads of money into it because it's a period drama. So <laughs> details are in the description down below. <laughs> but yeah, so there was this woman who, as a girl, went to Pollock House and mm. became one of the sort of maids there. And she very quickly became a sort of prolific witch finder. Mm. But what she was really doing was gaining power and prestige mm. by accusing people and she would plant little wax figurines in places that would then be used as evidence mm. against them. What was really interesting is that she was banished from the house and somehow arrived some years later as a minister's wife. And she just did it all again. Uh, there is, it was via Cara Hamilton who expressed that some of the, the documents that mm. she's examined. There is no hard concrete proof, mm. but it is not far-fetched to think that it is the same woman so she once she kind of came back as the wife and she made all these claims she was of course found guilty of fraud only this time she was banished to the country so you know she could have ended up in australia but a lot of the time they would rename people especially mm. i mean she was a minister's wife it would not be unusual for her to yeah. be renamed in terms of moving her around and so she, you know round about the time that she was removed there's a potential connection with the first wave of the witch craze in Salem. Mm. So it wouldn't really surprise me that a country with three times as much... And the math maths. Yeah, like three times as much witch craze as England, which was pretty bad in yeah. and of itself. And then, you know, just one bad egg gets to Salem. That's an embittered Scottish bird. No. <laughs> yeah, but like, that is quite interesting, right? Because like, it's it seems very coincidental that someone shows up potentially from Scotland around the time where the witch trials and the witch craze in Salem just picks up. And another interesting fact I found out about was that the witch craze in Salem was never as high as it was in Scotland, even though the first thing you think about when you think about witches is Salem. There's this disconnection between who was actually doing a lot of witch hunting versus who gets to tell their stories. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's got. I think that's got a lot to do with like pop movies and, and TV mm. and um, mm. horror culture. Yeah, entertainment. You know, especially since America sort of won the movie race. Yeah, yeah, very much <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I think that's where that the, the fixation with Salem kind mm. of stems from. There, mm. um, one good movie and public hey, ran with it. Hey, I mean, fiction is fact. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> for some, but it does. It does make good stories. Yeah, it does make yeah, good it does, stories. It does. And, um, it does. But it also like gives us really interesting insights, right? Because we're talking about a woman accusing other women. And 
that was often the case, right? That women went around accusing other women. And that very much can be also tied back to all these power structures that were happening around the time and, you know, are still happening within the patriarchy, except the church may have less influence nowadays than it had back then. But what is so interesting is that what is estimated, what, 75 to 85% of people accused were women. Yeah. And those were most likely poor women, that were most likely women that were potentially a bit older, women that were really settled in the community, as you said earlier as well. And so anyone who is potentially seen as someone wiser than someone else or has some status within the community, there's like something in terms of knowledge that they have access to. And at the same time, witches were framed in terms of their deviancy because they stand out against the ordinary woman because she's the one who is out of control in terms of her sexuality because, oh, she slept with the devil, oh, therefore she's evil. That's how she accessed her powers and she's too argumentative towards <laughs> men and she complains and argues back. And I think I would. I, based so, on this description, I'd have been burned so fast. Yeah, I, absolutely. It's like this, this, this witchy woman stands against the modest and the obedient woman that men wanted. So it makes sense that particularly women who were fighting back in one way or another were labeled in a way that made them be hated by the community more broadly. And it was also interesting that it goes back to like King James, who we mentioned, who was absolutely loving the witch hunt life, apparently, <laughs> who, you can't make this up, right? But he... Well, first of all, he just loved torturing witches left and right. He was very into it. He was involved in the North Berwick witch hunts and the trials. Did he not have and... something to do with the, the, oh God, what's the name of the sort of first book, Demonology? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he wrote this. He wrote like a, a longer dissertation. And he essentially made a commentary also about why it makes so much sense that it's more women who are witches and he was like yeah i mean it makes sense because women are so frail so of course they're easier persuaded by by the devil because the fact is for him and he provided you know solid evidence of course was that well it's in the bible because you know if you if you read it eve was persuaded by the the serpent so if the math maths in his you know in his opinion then that's solid evidence to Go and torture women. Ipso facto. So, yeah. But yeah, unsurprising then that accusing people of witchcraft as the tool of the patriarchy of the time. Yeah, but what was really crazy is we were kind of coming out of all of these offshoots of the massive religions where, mm. you know, the big power structures, obviously they were gaining more money, they yeah. were gaining more status, more power. They were, you know, they were having to convince people mm. less. So obviously they had too much time on their hands, so they had to cement. <laughs> mm. But, you know, there is like a lot of evidence that suggests in some of the books that will be referred to at the end in, in the description. But we were kind of coming out of what the divisions were between good and bad magic, mm. because magic was believed in. I mean, we still kind of have this remnant of exorcisms mm -hmm. and priests performing essentially mm. magic yeah that's a that's a really good point but nobody acknowledges this exactly and so like priests generally did have this kind of magical role i mean philosophy as mm. well was like 
so much bigger than it was now. Mm. Philosophers were telling people the right mm. way to think. It wasn't just, okay, this is a possible perspective. Mm. It was like, no, this is fact. Here's this my is evidence. Perspective. Yeah. And so you had all these different ways of, of practicing religion. I mean, I think it was the 12th century and it was all about how there was this big argument on what's good. So there was all this magic. So of course, all of these people practicing magic in some mm. way. Okay, well, how do we determine what's good ma- magic and what's bad magic? So then it's like angelic versus mm. the demonic. So you get all these volumes about angels and demons. But then it kind of boils into the ideas of uh, Adam and Eve, mm. but also Lilith. Oh, yeah. You know, the idea that... Makes sense. It's, it's a really weird one as it's well. It's like, like the succubus kind of analogy, right? Exactly, because you've got Adam and Eve, and Eve's bad because Eve was convinced by the snake. Yeah. And so she tricked Adam, ultimately. That's kind of what the doctrine is. But then you've also got the side where it's like, but Eve versus Lilith, Eve is the holy... And mm. the nice one, the mm. obedient one. Mm. And Lilith is this wretched, independent, you know, yeah. doesn't need no man, chooses to sleep with monsters. So either way, what I'm getting here is you will be shamed as a woman and they will try to find something to make sure to be able to label you as a witch. Exactly. So there's that weird like dichotomy mm. where it's like, oh, Eve is frail and here's my evidence as the Adam and Eve story. And how we had this idea of magic, mm. good ma- angelic magic and demonic magic. So you could argue that that's like Eve magic and Lilith magic. Mm. Not that that's ever said anywhere, but mm. it's kind of like, that's where I'm headed. <laughs> this is where my train of <laughs> yeah, thought's yeah, going. Yeah. And the whole Keep thing going. being that, you know, the, the church kind of <clears> had to start distancing itself mm. from the demonic magic. Somehow angelic magic was like subsumed into mm. godliness, into the Holy Trinity, mm. etc. And then you've got this dark stuff that is mm. other. And it's like it didn't actually really go anywhere. There mm. was like, you know, there's lots of letters between priests and popes and um, archbishops and bishops and so on and so <laughs> forth. There's all of these people who are sending messages and, and letters to each other <laughs> demanding there be mandates to mm. police against this. And so you can sort of see how those seeds of, oh, well, it's in the Bible mm. and it's all to do with God. And you can see how those seeds in a magical context, well, all of this idea of magic that comes from our history that mm. we used to actually all believe in mm. um, ends up getting kind of pinned to that scapegoat. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like redirected towards what we label as like magic and witchcraft versus what is holy, God-given, I, I don't even know. Like, what yeah. would exorcism be in that case? Like, it's, Right! Yeah. Exactly! Where do you put yeah. that? Yeah, it's like, wh- how were these lines drawn? Like, it doesn't make sense, right? Like, the only no. way it makes sense is, again, to, to tie it back to who is accused and what are they accused of and what's the function of it, which goes back to church functioning within the patriarchy yeah. as a tools of control. Exactly, because the church was a huge source mm. of information. Yeah. It, it was social media, because people couldn't really read. Yeah. So you had your priest giving you the scriptures and yeah. what was going on in the world. And they were all communicating with each other. They were mm. also communicating with the kings and yeah. the lords and the ladies. They were also the conduit between those people and the poor, sadly, mm. the victims of, of witchcraft. So 
you know, you see the, the sort of power structure and you can kind of see how it was easy at that time mm. to use women and magic as scapegoats. Mm. Mm. You know, mm. it's not surprising that the mm. clearances happened after. That mm. was all about gaining land. Mm. The, the chiefs sold the land out from under their clans in some cases and they had to just leave, mm. go somewhere else. Mm. Mm. And it was all about land and power and status. I'm really wishing I could remember all of my my categories and hierarchies <laughs> here, but it's just flown out the window. But that was the same thing. So all these women had this status, they mm. had this position in the community. And because, as I said, we could mm. mandate death, you know, if you can get rid of them, well, you can fairly quickly, more quickly mm. fill that hole that they have left. And yet, like, King James VI, just really, he was like that big first panic yeah mania yeah they're really too cold and you know like scotland again really small also very rural Mm. at this time so you know superstition was probably a lot more Mm. rampant Mm. shall we say Mm. than in england yeah and i don't think it's surprising that also medicine starts to pick up around about the 16th century Mm. because medicine as we know doctors, people who were learning to be doctors and and studying anatomy. You had to be a man to go to school Mm. and you had to have money to go to school. So there you do do get that male in these positions of Mm. power that why would anybody need the male doctor who will require payment Mm. if there are women who do these things for free in smaller communities? Yeah, exactly. And that's a good transition into this whole idea of how this witch craze or witch crazes have like they, they led to so much lost knowledge because yeah as you said they were you know valued members in the community and that's because a lot of them were potentially midwives or healers of some sort specifically for the poor and for you know the everyday peasant which means with the witch craze we potentially lost a lot of knowledge specifically in reference to women's health and that has to do with you know pregnancy and whatnot but it's just potentially just gone or it was haltered for yeah. a long period of time until i mean even now there's so little we actually know about the female reproductive system it's definitely a loss yeah i mean i think that one of the reasons that we are all mm. so drawn to to stories about mm. witches mm. is because there is very it's very jungian of me but um, there is like this gap in our collective unconscious which was filled by women nurturing mm. people and, mm. and pl- playing this maternal mm. role mm. on a scale that really was mm. it was ripped away mm. by that this inc- this this amazing awful bizarre panic mm. that you know, when we were talking about scapegoats, it wasn't just, you know, the, the powerful and the rich and the, mm. the holy that were doing it to mm. them. But by starting that, you ended up getting, like, a lot of witch hunters. So originally it was, like, the priests that were doing the witch finding, mm. but then it was outsourced to professional witch hunters. Mm. They were paid by the witch. Mm. It was in their best interest to find witches. Mm. So people were already feeling a bit of animosity towards women, for having that land, for mm. having more power than a male counterpart. Mm. And at the same so, time, like, especially like, you know, healing within communities also kind of went against how God would have, you know, the healing powers. Um, exactly, the miracles. And the miracles. So that also went against what the church was preaching, right? So that kind of went against, but our faith doesn't support this. So 
What's and, happening here? It must be clearly evil because our faith, you know, the, ma- the, the magic healing is not witchcraft, but your witchcraft is. You're doing it out with yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the mandate of the church, so you must be yeah, evil because yeah, these yeah, are yeah. The thing, these are the messages that we've been communicating yeah, yeah, yeah. to each other. These are the things that we've been deciding because we want to separate what is good magic from bad magic, and then suddenly, okay, yeah. well, it's not magic; it's yeah. miracle, yeah. and that's bad magic. Yeah. And you know, you kind yeah. of see these little connections, and and it's you know, I think the fascinating thing. So the, the Second World War, mm. and those scapegoats you kind of see the same thing where lots of problems accumulated mm. and it just kind of got blamed mm. on the scapegoat mm. and then, yeah the interesting thing about the second world war is that that's that w- there was a woman poor ellen duncan 1944 she was jailed for nine months she was like, the last one who was jailed in in scotland wasn't she yeah she was the last scot but like she was tried in england and oh things. was she yeah. oh, okay yes so the last scottish person Yes, but what's right. really interesting about that, I mean, what was her crime really? She made a few predictions mm-hmm. about what was happening in the war. So she got jailed because she had... Was what? Yeah. Because she had been right or so, because what she had said had come true. I mean, that could be coincidence. And then she was harassed mm. by government forces thereafter yeah, for yeah. years. Also, does this then mean that the ye old law against witchcraft was still in place like nobody mm-hmm. from 1735 the 1735 law still implemented by 1944 yeah. let that sink in still there yeah still available and yeah. someone used it yeah. yeah but again that was during the war and yeah there's that that mass panic mm. you know and that idea that what she was doing was undermining the the party line. Front. Yeah, <laughs> no, you, you yeah, can kind of yeah. see you see the logic, but then you think and you're like, but she didn't actually do anything real and substantial. Yeah. But you arrested her and sentenced her to mm. prison anyway. And even after that, she was raided mm. so many times because mm. they wanted to persecute her for fraud mm. of some description. So why are you annoying this woman? Yeah, <laughs> like Just leave her alone. Yeah, what what is this contributing to society? Yeah, except yeah. trying to not just cut a woman down, but cut a person mm. down who potentially minutely threatens the status quo in terms of belief systems. Mm. I think what's also a really interesting argument that sometimes is then raised, and it's like the ye old argument that often comes up when it comes to gender issues. It's like, but what about men? And it's like, yeah, let's let's talk about those what. 25 to 15 percent of which well, don't forget that all of the men. 25 to 15 percent will have been children too yeah <laughs> they apparently are not um, gendered that's fair that's fair <laughs> yeah that's very fair like yeah i read like a really interesting article by julian Goudere, who was essentially pointing out that yes of course men were accused but when they were accused they were often linked to a woman witch and they failed to distance themselves from her or it's because they themselves engaged in a female role, such as healing within smaller, poorer communities. So it still, in the end, boils down that we're linking female qualities and female role as the deviant. So we're, we're labeling that as the deviant and linking it back to witchcraft. And therefore, that's why it's punishable. So yeah. it's still back to women. It's still a gendered issue as a result. Oh, yeah. Their, their crime is respecting women. Their yeah. crime is 
not just respecting them, but I suppose backing women yeah, up. <laughs> yeah, supporting them. Yeah. Early feminists. Exactly. Uh, it's just really interesting. And because we also know, as you mentioned, with The Last Witch being persecuted in the 1940s, it's not like it stops now, right? People think hunting witches is a thing of the past. And sure, maybe it's not happening in like Scotland per se. No, it's really not because we are experiencing witch hunting mm. in India, Papua New Guinea, Saudi Arabia, southwestern Africa. And, you know, it's, it is all to do with property and power. Mm. This is generally, very broadly, men, because men have less of an issue in the structures of society in claiming power and mm. holding on to it, whereas women all through history and even now, they are still regarded in terms of marriage. Mm. And so, you know, in these places, generally speaking, it is, it's the poor women. It's, I mean, there's, there's, there's actual witch camps mm. where women who are moving to these camps, fleeing their homes, fleeing their communities, mm. because they are afraid that they will be targeted mm. because they are no longer of childbearing age. Mm. And that's today. That mm. is in this mm. century. Which is... It, it feels so bizarre, yet by all the things like that are happening on like a global scale, it's not even surprising anymore at this point. No, the world is a terrifying place. And I feel very privileged to be sitting having this conversation. Yeah, um, I also think it's super important as well. I feel like in popular culture... The idea of a witch is mm. very um, fantasised mm. and people band it about without mm. really acknowledging the weight mm. of what that means. Mm. I mean, mm. witch has, it's not like, it's not really a reclaimed word, is it? You know, it's mm. not as if we're claiming back the power. To be called a witch is, it's not even an insult, it's, it's, mm. it's damning. It's also amazing how, all right, 500 years later, we're still talking about witches mm. we we're, they are part of mm. popular culture they're part of our collective imagination mm. as such all right there's a big hole there that we're mm. i think we're trying to fill but you know we have the space to explore those things mm. and develop new knowledge one of my favorite things to talk about is crystals mm. and i don't necessarily think that crystals themselves have special powers i know some people do and i don't think that's a wrong thing but mm. what's really interesting is if you've got one rock that you have learned means certain things, if you have that rock in front of you, that will be present in your mind. Mm. That's what's important. Mm. If what you need is from that little category that it is part of. Yeah. Like, spirituality and, like, connectiveness with whatever it is you would like to connect with comes, like, in many shapes and forms. And that's just, like, one form it can take in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, so, you know, we have this beautiful space to explore some of the things that we've lost, some of the things we've managed to hold on mm. to, and to talk about the history that that was horrible, that was bloody, to talk about as well what's happening mm. just now. And I think that's really important to to really recognise that mm. when you are talking about witches. I feel like that's where we can potentially also like leave on a high note because, as you know, so this year in 2022 on International Women's Day, we actually had First Minister Nicola Sturgeon issue an apology on behalf of the Scottish government for the thousands of women accused and executed for witchcraft and she essentially 
really well points out how the witch craze was an injustice on a colossal scale, which was essentially driven in part by misogyny in its most literal sense, namely hatred for women. So at least like from from that perspective, we've seen like a positive step of acknowledging this. Yes. So many like hundreds of years later, it's it's interesting that we finally get like this acknowledgement of what happened so many years ago. Yeah, and I think it's important that it came from the the first yeah female first minister. It's just that yeah okay, there there's a sort of it's about time mm. and perhaps I mean would it be hollow if a man had said it? Who knows? Who can see? Mm. But it does feel that it was important for the first minister mm. that was the first female first mm. minister to acknowledge that. I mean, she was she was lobbied and such, so yeah. it's not as if she did this spontaneously with yeah. free will. But it's really exciting that there is people, other women, other men, yeah. everybody who is for the recognition of the horror, mm. but also to make the space to move forward. Mm. Great way to end, well, to almost end, because, as you might know, we always end on a high note by talking a little bit about what we accomplished this month. Do you know what? I've just decided in the last 30 seconds, rather than that, let's not do an accomplishment, let's do another reading. (laughs) Because we had great fun when I had brought these out in this very flat. Oh, our group got anxiety (laughs) in relation to our PhD, and I feel like that means magic must exist. So I have a deck of cards here, and I think that Julia needs to pick a card and interpret it for us, because she is uniquely... Talented. Uh, Yes. Yes. (laughs) This will be a side podcast where we just do tarot readings. So, do it. Do I have to pick the first one? You can pick anyone. This one. This one. Okay. Okay. What is this? It's a stick. (laughs) It's eight sticks. Eight sticks. What what do the eight sticks mean? The eight of sticks. If you're ever stranded on a deserted island, find eight (laughs) sticks to build a boat. So obviously. This card obviously means that we are going to soon be stranded on a desert <laughs> island. Yes. And we must hoard stick. Do you know what this means? Do you know what this is? Go for it. This is all to do with Chase. Oh, the puppy in the room. Puppy. Oh, yeah! Because we went outside. I forgot about that. It's like, it didn't even register. Before we did the recording, we went outside with the loveliest puppy and it's stick throwing. So, yes, that's the reminiscence of the stick throw. So anytime I draw the eight of wands, you will now... <laughs> I'm going to think of, of sticks. <laughs> Julia! And I bet you now will think of being stranded on a deserted <laughs> island. <laughs> Every single time I'm going to do a reading for other people, it's like, mm, I'm sorry to break, break the news to you, but you will be stranded on a deserted <laughs> island now. There you have it, folks. Perfect. <laughs> great way to end it not gonna lie i love it perfect for the like witchy spooky vibes so thank you very much for joining me i thoroughly enjoyed that even if it had some darker themes of course yes any chance to get to any chance to talk about witches in any capacity dark light gray and people can find you on twitter of course at looking for tony b 
perfect i'll put everything in the description down below of course along with the show notes and if you would like to get in touch about co-hosting with me for another episode do get in touch on twitter as well at gender gap or drop me an email at gendergap at outlook.com bye ciao